Well, a couple weeks ago, I took uh, seven students and four adults uh, on our high school mission trip all the way down 670 to Fifth Avenue in Columbus. <laughs> and uh, there's a few pictures up there. Um, about five years ago, we went to the same place and we did some work on a building that was going to be what's called the Rosedale International Center. And this year, we actually stayed in the place that we worked in five years ago. So that was kind of neat. And um, it is cool. We, uh, we, we did a lot of things. Uh, we, we did a lot of uh, ministry with the homeless community here in Columbus. And um, we, we went to um, places where we uh, would pray for them. We went to places where we would uh, feed a meal, serve a meal, and sit with them and talk with them and interact with them. And uh, not just give a meal, but uh, try to be Jesus through our words and, and our love. And um, so our students got to, to see a, a life that most of them probably don't know and experience some things that they have not experienced before. And downtown Columbus for a 15-year-old in Gehanna is a different world. So um, we, had a, we had a great time. We did some children's ministries, um, and, and just, we just did a lot. And I wanna, the one thing I want to focus on, though, is what we're actually going to do in Whitehall that was spoken about earlier is we did a lot of prayer walking. There was one day we walked around downtown Columbus, and I turned my phone on, the, the setting where it tells you how many steps you take, have taken and all that stuff. And uh, we went 9.6 miles all around downtown. And that day was the day that they decided to give us $1.50 for lunch each. And uh, so basically that was to help us understand what it's like to be a little hungry. And um, that's what the average homeless person in Columbus gets to eat on for a whole day. It's $1.50. So we were, you know, walking 10 miles in the heat on a third of a Jimmy John sandwich. Um, and so, so anyway... Uh, we, we also prayer walked down on Fifth Avenue where we were staying, and, and one of the groups uh, that was with us, um, I wasn't leading it, but another, another one of our adults was, um, they prayed with somebody, and when they were done, they said, you know, walking out here, it's, it's really hot, and the sun was just beating down, and the person said, when you guys came up to me and prayed for me, it was like I walked into air conditioning, and I... I I believe that it wasn't just figurative. I, I'm hoping that that person really felt the Lord and the coolness and peace that only the Lord can give through our people praying for them. So that's something that, that can and probably will happen in Whitehall as we go and pray for those people. So we had a wonderful time. Some of the kids even cleaned, which was great. Those are, there's some pictures of kids cleaning. I put that up, for, up there for their parents to see. So. Um, so we, had, we just had a great time, and we're probably going to do this uh, trip. It's close. It's right here in our Jerusalem, and, uh, but it's, it's a different world for a lot of us. So um, we're going to probably do this in the future. So if you have a high schooler or a middle schooler who's going to be coming up in the high school, this is something we'll do over the next couple years probably. So, so anyway, it was a wonderful trip. So thank you for buying coffee. It helps support our trip. So if you bought some coffee, I hope it was good. Was it good? Good. Okay. Maybe we'll do it again. So Anyway, all right, well, uh, last weekend, uh, we were told by Pastor Ed from New Life OSU about fish stories, and he taught us from Luke chapter 5 about Peter and Jesus, when Jesus, you know, did the miracle of, of allowing them to catch a lot of fish that almost sank their boat, and so we were told about fish stories, and we all have a fish story, whether it's the big fish story, or it's a little fish story, or it's, we're just too scared to even bait the hook, so we don't fish at all, um, the other main point that he was talking about were uh, our fish stories as fishers of men. So Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. We're throwing out the net of the gospel and bringing them not into a boat, but into the kingdom of God. 
So what I want to do, I want to share with you my favorite fish story that I've been a part of. Uh, some of the students have heard this story before, but it's, it's probably one of the most uh, amazing stories of God working when I wasn't even looking for it. So the first year that I came here, I think that was 2006, um, I had to go perform a wedding back in Des Moines, Iowa. I was a youth pastor in Des Moines, Iowa for about five or six years before I came here. So a good friend of mine was getting married, so he asked me to perform the wedding, so I flew there and, and did the wedding. And I was in the airport coming back, and what I do in the airports, if I have to wait, is I people watch. Okay, me and my wife, we people watch. Um, yeah, she said, yay. So we people watch. I don't sit there and read a book or, you know, listen to music and fall asleep. I, I people watch. So as I'm watching, probably, I don't know, they, these two guys come through our little terminal area, and they're going up to people just one after the other real quick, real quick. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? And so they were uh, in nice pants and white shirt and a tie, and there's two of them, and I'm like, they got to be Mormons. And so <laughs> I'm thinking they're going, they're going up to each people and then trying to, you know, spread their message. And so then they ended up sitting down by this guy who was just a massive mountain of a guy who you don't want to meet in an alley, you know, at nighttime. So you sit down next to him, and they are talking to him longer than they talk to anyone else. So I'm like, oh, he must be listening. So I, w you know, I was like, well, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to go sit by them, and if they say something wrong, I'm going to correct them. <laughs> so, so, you know, in the, in the, in the gate there, you know, the, the chairs are always back to back. So I went up, and I sat like back to back to this big thug guy, and I'm listening. I'm like, I'm going to get him. And uh, so I'm listening, but I was like, we're sharing the gospel. I'm like, they're on our team. So I'm like, they're on the right team. So I, I, I was listening, and, and one guy, he like jetted off to his gate. He ran away, like ran. And I'm like, what is he doing? So he ran to his gate. The other guy scoots over to next to this guy and ends up this guy uh, prays and receives Christ right there in the airport. Okay? So, so the other guy, he yells to his friend. He's like, come on, the plane's leaving. We got to go. They're waiting for us. So I guess they were the last two on the plane because they were going, you know, person to person talking to everybody. So, like, the guy's like, sorry, got to leave. So I'm thinking, well, I'm sitting there. So I went over to him and I said, hey, I was eavesdropping on your conversation. And I, <laughs> and I, and I said, um, I was just like, yeah, it was the best decision you could have ever made. And I said, when you get home, I said, what you need to do is find a church that preaches the gospel, that preaches from the Bible, and I said, you also need to start reading your Bible. I said, do you have a Bible? He said, I don't have a Bible. I said, well, I have a Bible. Do you want my Bible? So he's like, well, sure. And so I gave him my Bible, and I said, you know, start with the book of John and read all about Jesus. And, and I said, you know, my flight leaves in like two minutes, and they just called us. And right as I did that, this lady probably had to be 100 feet away on the other side of the terminal. She walks over to us and says, hey, young man to this guy, young man, that was the best decision you could have ever made. I'm like, what? Why'd you hear that? And so she said the same thing that I said and said, do you mind if I sit with you and pray with you and talk with you a little bit? And the guy was like, well, sure. And I left. And I don't know if after I left, there was like another string of people that she left. And that was a great decision, young man. I, I don't know. But that's what happened. And I was people watching. I was not looking for opportunities to share the gospel. But God put those, us three people where he wanted us in order to help spur that man on in his new faith, brand new faith. So if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to see why that happened. 
going to start in verse 14. There's not too many fill-in-the-blanks on your sermon notes, but there's a lot of blanks that you can use. Um, it's just so something, you know, if God, if God uh, speaks to you through anything, just, just jot it down. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us. I want you to circle that. Always leads us. That word always gets us in trouble, doesn't it? You don't say that to your spouse. You always, or your kids, you know, when you do this, you always gets us in trouble. Right? But this is God we're talking about. This is God who's saying, in Christ, I always lead you, Christians. That's the us, the Christians. In what? In triumphal procession. A triumphal procession is a victory parade. It's the idea of a general and his troops coming back from a victory and marching through the city. And there's a parade for them and there's people lining the streets cheering for them. And probably the general was lifted up on some sort of chariot and he was the highest one and they could see him and they were cheering for him. God always leads us in a triumphal procession. That's what happened in the airport. There's a procession, a parade of people that God had set up. Probably not to our, not to our own knowing. We didn't know. But that's what God does always. He leads us in a triumphal procession, a victory parade. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Circle everywhere. That's another word like always, everywhere. Everywhere. We spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him, of Christ, everywhere. And God leads us to do that always. When we think about a fragrance, and we think about the triumphal procession of these troops that are marching through the city, I'm thinking they've been marching a long time and they stink pretty bad. So they had people lining the streets with different um, little boxes of incense that were burning so that it would smell better. It was the smell of victory that people were smelling as they were marching through the city in this victory parade. So what God does with us when he leads us, he spreads the smell of his victory to people. The victory that he won on the cross over death, sin, hell, demons. He won that victory for us on the cross. And he marches us always, everywhere. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as that general's marching through the city, his excellencies are being praised. And what we do when we are everywhere is we are supposed to be proclaiming the excellencies of the general who has led us into battle and given us the victory over those things that he has won for us. And I imagine if, let's say, the general had died in battle, but there was still a parade of the troops, the troops would be praising their general who died for them. And that's what we do with our general who's died for us, but he's risen again and he continues to lead us. God always leads us everywhere 
to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So where are you going after today? Start with today. Where are you going after you're done here? Maybe you're going out to eat. And God is always leading you everywhere you go in order to spread the the fragrance of the knowledge of him and the victory that he's won for us. So maybe you you ask a, a, a server, hey, how can I pray for you? We're Christians, and we pray. And we know that's a little weird. That's what we said to people downtown in Columbus. We walk to, up to them and say, hey, I have a weird question. Can I pray for you? And 90% of people were like, sure. God leads us everywhere. And verse 15 says, for we are the aroma of Christ. So what are we? We are the aroma of Christ to God. So what is the aroma of Christ? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant, smelling, good-smelling sacrifice and offering to God. We now are the aroma of Christ to God. So when Christ died on the cross, he smelled good to God. And we, when we share the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ with people, we smell good to God. Because it's him we're worshiping when we share our faith in Jesus. It's an act of worship. It's not an act of duty. It's an act of worship. So we smell good first to God, and he happens to put us among people and around people. And there's two kinds of people he puts us around. Those who are being saved, it says, and among those who are perishing. A professor in college would say, the saints and the ain'ts. Those who are saved, that's the, you know, a church word, a Bible word that we need to know. Being saved. In Acts 16, someone asked Paul, what what must I do to be saved? Does anybody know the answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Elena. (laughs) Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Those who believe in Jesus are saved. Saved from what? They're saved from everything that Jesus won the victory over. They're saved from hell. They're saved from Satan. They're saved from the wrath of God. I think one of, the, one of the pastors in the previous two weeks mentioned that those of us who don't know Christ are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. He saves us from the wrath of God. So we are among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That's John 3.16, right? For God's love the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. They will not perish. Those of us who believe in Jesus will not perish, but we will have eternal life. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward us, not willing or not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but they will. Some will. But he's slow and he's patient with us. And wants us to come to repentance, to come to a point where we admit our sin. We change our mind about our sin, and we turn from it, and we change our mind about Jesus, and we turn to him. God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then in verse 16, it says, To one we are fragrance from death to death. Those are the ones who are perishing. 
our message, the fragrance of the knowledge of him is going to smell like death to some people. They're going to die physically, and they're going to die spiritually. It's called the second death in Revelation, in the lake of fire, in hell, being separated from God forever, for eternity. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. So to some, our smell and the smell of Jesus will be of death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Those who have life on this earth, but then the moment they put their faith in Jesus, have eternal life, an everlasting life that lasts through eternity. Doesn't happen, eternal life doesn't happen the moment we die. Eternal life happens the moment we put our faith in Jesus. It's eternal, everlasting, abundant life that only Christ can give us. So to some, we're going to smell like death, and to some, we're going to smell like life. It's a matter of life and death. The message we have is a matter of life and death. And then Paul says this. He says, who is sufficient for these things? That's a fancy way of saying, you mean me? Uh, what? I'm going to do this? What I say has, has a bearing on someone's life and death? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, you are, but no, it's not you. It's God who always leads you. It's God who's at work in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure, not our good pleasure. Our good pleasure a lot of times would mean keep it to ourselves. But it's God who works in us. It's God who leads us everywhere always. So are we sufficient for these things and doing these things? No, but God makes us sufficient. Our sufficiency is in Christ. When we are weak, he's strong. And then he says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So he says, we're not peddlers. What does a peddler do? They come into a city, they set up their shop, they set up their show, they do some tricks, they wow the crowd, they get their money, and they leave. And that's what was happening during these times with Paul, and it's happened all the time today, and even more with TV, is that someone will be a peddler of God's word in order to get your money. And Paul says, we're not peddlers of God's word. He says, we're men of sincerity. We have a sincere heart. We're commissioned by God, and we're in the sight of God. So he's telling them, we're not peddlers. We're not, we're not selling Jesus to you. We have sincere hearts. We've been commissioned by God. And he sees us and watches us, and in some weird way, he smells us. And he says, in the sight of God, we've been commissioned by him. What we do is we speak in Christ. That's what we do as Christians. We speak in Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Nobody ever got saved because you were nice to him. As Christians, we're not just these nice, happy, helpful people. On top of those things, we have a message and that's the only way any one of your friends or coworkers or fellow students or family members are going to get saved. They have to hear the message of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel. So how are you smelling to God? How are you smelling to other people when you're around them? Do they smell Christ? Is God pleased when he smells the things that he hears you talking about when he looks at you? 
Paul went on to tell the Corinthians about his ministry. And he gets to uh, chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can turn there. Chapter 5, verse 11. And right before verse 11, he tells the Corinthians that there's a judgment to come. There's a judgment coming, and he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. If somebody asks you, what's the fear of the Lord? I've heard of that. Here's what I would tell them. I would tell them the fear of the Lord is this. It's realizing and living in the fact that God is God, and you're not him. I'm not him. And we re- when we realize the power of God and who he is and what he's done and what he can do, we realize that we're not even close. The fear of the Lord is not cowering in a corner, shaking in fear. But it's realizing who God is and realizing that we're not him. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom and fools despise it. Those are those who are, per- who are perishing. They despise the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is Peter from last week, who when Jesus showed him his power and pulled in all the fish, he bowed down and said, depart from me. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When we realize who God is, we worship him in repentance. As Pastor Ed told us last week. So Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He's not talking about persuading them to believe in Jesus. At this point, he's talking about, we, he's like, I want to persuade people about who I am, about my heart. He's thinking back to chapter 2 earlier in his letter, saying, I have a sincere heart. I know I've been commissioned by God. And God sees everything that I, that I do, everything that I say, he hears. So he says to them, what we are is known to God. God knows our heart. And I hope it's known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. Those are the peddlers who come along and say, look what I've done. Look at all the people I've healed. Look at all the big things I've built. Paul says, we're not peddlers. It's not about what I say I've done, but it's about what is in my heart, and God knows what's in my heart, and I want you to know what's in my heart as I minister to you, he says. In verse 13, he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. Some of your versions might say, if we are out of our mind, it's for God. If we're a Bible thumper, as some may call us, it's for God. If we're a Jesus freak, as the song says, it's for God. If I'm a holy roller, as some say, it's for God. Paul says, it's not about my outward appearance, because sometimes I appear out of my mind. And there were people who didn't like that about Paul, and they thought he had mental issues with some of the times he spoke. And he says, but if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. So he says, there's times that God just takes over what I'm saying, and I might look like a fool to you, but there's other times where I'm calm and reserved, and you know, there's those times as well, but he's like, I, it, it, the matter is my heart. The matter is my heart. And then he comes to verse 14 in just a pivotal moment of his, uh, his mind where he, he, he tells us the why of his existence. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, or the love of Christ compels us. To compel means that there's pressure on you that makes you act. 
the pressure that made Paul act and talk and, and speak the way he did was the love of Christ. It was the love that Christ had for him by dying on the cross, giving himself up for him. But it's also the love he had for Christ. I love him so much that I have to. So what is the motivation in your life for the way you act and talk and live? For some, it might be money. You know, I figured out how I can talk and act and speak around the right people so that I can get the most money. It might be the, you're getting the approval of men. I, I know how I can act and speak and talk so people like me. Or I know how, how I can act and speak and talk so that people of the opposite sex like me. But for Paul, he says, it's the love of Christ that controls me, that compels me. Because we've concluded this, he's come to some decision in his life about what's important. Here's what we've concluded, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. What in the world does that mean? 1 Timothy 4.10 says this, For to this end we toil and strive. Paul is telling Timothy, a young pastor, this is what we do. We toil and strive because our hope, we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe, especially to them because they get eternal life. Because of their belief, they have eternal life. Because they believe, they're children of God now. Those are the all that he's talking about, all who have believed. Christ has died for all who believe, therefore all have died. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. We've died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who's loved me and gave himself up for me. We've concluded that Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all of us Christians, we've died to ourselves and we've become and be, we've been made alive in Christ. And he died for all. That those who live, those who have eternal life, might what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We all have a big problem with that, living for ourselves. What we want, how we want it, when we want it. I know I've got a problem with that. But he says, we've died to ourselves. Christ has died for us so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. We live for him by spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. A lot of us probably know that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Paul says, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. That doesn't make sense. It's a sacrifice. We've died to ourselves, but we've been made alive to Christ. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or another version would say your spiritual act of worship. Our spiritual act of worship weekly is not coming here, raising our hands and singing a song, although that's a big part of it. This says our spiritual act of worship is what? Presenting our bodies to God, holy and acceptable. They're made holy and acceptable by Jesus Christ. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the will of God. And we need to discern what is the will of God and what's good and acceptable to him and perfect. That's where God's word comes in, to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, 
But do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, the price of the sweet-smelling blood of Christ on the cross. You're not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So what? Glorify God in your body. Everything you do with the body, head to toe, glorify God with it. We no longer live for the glory of ourselves, to lift ourselves up and say, look how good I am. But it's to lift Christ up, the general up, and say, look how good he is. So the people do what? They praise him, and they proclaim the excellencies of him. So we're no longer to live for ourselves, but for him. So verse 16, from now on. So this is a point in the sermon. From now on, what are you going to do? From now on, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. He's like, we don't think about people just in terms of flesh and bones anymore. We think about them in a spiritual sense. They're either perishing or they're saved. They're either dying or alive. They're not just people anymore that we know and we look at and we nod our head at and rub shoulders with. It's people who are going to die or they're going to have eternal life. And the message that we've been given is the thing that is going to help them either live or die. And again, Paul would say, am I sufficient to do that? No, but God is who always leads us everywhere you go. So from now on, we don't think about people just as people. They're about spiritual people who are either going to be in heaven with God for eternity or be in hell separated from him. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, he's just saying we thought of Jesus as just a man, just a good man. I mean, maybe somebody that we should look up to. He's just a man. We regard him thus no longer. So Paul went from this guy who imprisoned and approved of the killing of God's children to becoming God's child and realizing Jesus is God. He's not just a man. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what are we? We're the aroma of Christ to God, and we are a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6.6 6 says this, we know that our old self or the old man, or the old nature, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As Christians, we no longer have to be enslaved by sin as the old self once was. Now we're a slave for Christ, and we're obeying him, and everywhere we're led by him, everywhere always, we do his will in what's good and acceptable and perfect. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new creations. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 says this. Paul says, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Unbelievers. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart says to the message of the knowledge of him, it says, I don't want any of that. It smells like death. And death is what they're going to get. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice in every kind of impurity. And then he's like, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him. So he realizes, oh wait, 
Some of you might not have heard of Christ. Assuming you've heard about him. As the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It sounds like Romans 12. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We are a new creation. The old is, go is gone and the new has come. We are all created in the image of Christ, in the image of God. But when we put our faith in Jesus, God conforms us and forms us into the image of Christ. We're a new creation. We have a new mind. We have the mind of Christ. We have a new heart. We have a new, new desires. We have a new hope. The old is gone and the new has come. And Paul says, all of this is from God. All of it's from God. It's not from us. There's nothing we can do to get a new heart, to get a new mind, to get new desires, to get a new hope. We can't come to church enough. We can't give enough in the offering plate. We can't be nice enough to people. It won't get us anywhere. It's only Christ on the cross who gives us a new heart and our faith in him. And it says, all of this is from God who what? Who, who through Christ reconciles us to himself. To reconcile just to, means to make right what was wrong. If you, have a, you get your credit card statement, there's four charges that you didn't do. You didn't make. You've got to call the credit card company up and reconcile it, make it right, or there's going to be lots of problems for you financially. Or if you have your bank statement and you line it up with your checkbook or your QuickBooks or however you do it, and it doesn't, doesn't match, you've got a problem. You have to reconcile it. Well, this says God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. It's God doing that work. It's not us doing that work. It's God who wants a relationship with us. It's God who wants us to be his children. Not everyone who exists is a child of God. John 1.12 says, To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We need to be believers and have faith in Jesus Christ in order to be a child of God. So it's God who does that work through Christ because our sin separated us from God. It's like Adam and Eve when they sinned, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And I don't think so much that they were missing the food that was there, although it was probably pretty good. They were missing walking and talking with God in the cool of the day, it says. But they were separated from him. And in order to be reconciled back, there had to be a sacrifice for them, which there was. And he gave them clothes. So our sin separates us from God, but God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. He made right the wrong relationship we have. We are enemies of God before we have put our faith in Jesus. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He, this is a gift from God. If somebody asks you, what is the greatest gift God has given you? You would say, well, my eternal life. And that's true. But right below it, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. When reconciliation happens, forgiveness of sin happens, and he's given us that ministry of reconciliation, and it says, and entrusting, has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. The ministry that God has given us is the message of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, when we come here every week, you might wonder, what, what's my ministry? I don't know what my ministry is. I don't have a ministry. I haven't signed up. Your ministry is telling people about Jesus. Your ministry is not rocking babies. Your ministry is sharing Jesus with them. Your ministry is not just checking people's names off of a list. It's sharing Jesus with them. Ministry isn't just maybe handing out a 
worship folder. It's sharing Jesus with people. That's our ministry. Maybe some of us have done ministry for 20 years, but we haven't done any ministry. He's given us a ministry. He's given us a message. Remember, it's a message. It's words we speak that allow for people to get saved. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is just a representative from one country who's sent to another country to improve relations. So God has sent us. We're members of the kingdom of heaven. This world is not our home, Ephesians says. So we are ambassadors for Christ. We're sent from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this world. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, or another version might say strangers and aliens. We're strangers in this world. We're aliens in this world. We really don't belong here. We belong in the kingdom of heaven. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He says, you're not citizens of the world anymore, so don't act like it. Act like citizens of heaven. So we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He's using us to appeal to people for Christ, for their faith in Christ, to believe in Christ, and he's using us to do that. Jesus came to the earth and became a man, right? He was out of his place he belonged. He came here and he, he, he had a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but then he died and he rose again, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he said, well now it's you guys. I'm making this, I want you to make the same appeal that I made when I came on the earth. And Paul would say, am I sufficient for these things? What? Me? What? Yes, but it's God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's God who always leads you everywhere. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Some of you in this room might not be reconciled to God. You might not be a believer. You might be storing up wrath for the day of judgment. You might be bound to go to the second death in hell, separated from God for eternity. I implore you, be reconciled to God today. You don't have to wait till you get everything straightened out. Be reconciled to God. Admit your sinfulness and admit your need for a Savior and admit that God is, that Christ is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe because he gives those who believe eternal life. For our sake, on our behalf, verse 21, he, God the Father, made Jesus, made him, to be sin who knew no sin. I'm going to defer to uh, uh, a preacher, uh, John MacArthur. He quotes Isaiah 53, 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We know that one, right? We have turned everyone to his own way. But then it says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. John MacArthur says, Christ was not made a sinner on the cross. Instead, the Father treated him as if he were a sinner by charging to his account the sins of everyone who would ever believe all those sins were charged against him as if he had personally committed them, and he was punished with the penalty for them on the cross, experiencing the full fury of the wrath of God unleashed against them in our place. It's Jesus, here's us, and God, and God's pouring out his wrath on sinners, but Jesus stepped in the middle and took it. 
for us. That's what happened to Christ. So that, the verse says, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther says this is the great exchange where God took our sin and put it on Jesus and took his righteousness and put it on us. I don't know how that works. But that's only something God can do. That can do. That's nothing that we can do on, ourself, on our own. Philippians 3.9, Paul says this. He says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a righteousness not of our own. We can't do it. It depends on God. It's a righteousness that comes from God that depends on our faith. So maybe today you just need to put your faith in Jesus and be reconciled to God. Maybe today you need to realize, maybe I'm not smelling so good because I'm the aroma, aroma of Christ to God and to other people. And yes, some people will believe and some people will not, but that's God's business. Our business is to share the message and the ministry of reconciliation that he's given us. We all need, as Christians, to realize we're ambassadors. Our home's in heaven. We're going to be there someday, and it's going to be great. But while we're here, we've got a job to do, because in heaven, nobody's going to be getting saved. They are here, though. So we have a job to do. We've got a big job to do. So, you know, in closing, if, if you know, you might need a... Uh, some prayer about these things, about realizing I'm the aroma of Christ, or I'm a, I'm a new creation. And need, need God to just empower you to, to be the ambassador that he is wanting you to be through the power of Christ. So there's going to be prayer partners up here, and they'll pray with you. They want to pray with you. And we'll help guide you kind of through that process of what to do, and go to that witness class that Pastor Jay is going to do. That'll teach you. That'll be a great, a great thing to go to. So, and pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've made us uh, to smell the same as Christ did on the cross, and that is unbelievable to me. And Father, I thank you that you have made us a new creation. We thank you that the old has passed away and the new has come. We thank you for making us a new creation, giving us a new heart, a new desire, a new mind, and a new hope. And Lord, I just pray that we can live our lives pleasing and holy and acceptable to you through the power of Christ who lives in us. And Lord, I pray you'll guide us everywhere, always. I guess you told us you do that, but help us to realize that's what you're doing, that's what you're up to. Help us to take those opportunities wherever we are uh, to share your word and to, to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.